we're going through the book of Ephesians, and uh, tonight we would have been going through, and I say would have been because we're not going to do it, but we would have been going through uh, the part where it talks about husbands and wives and that whole thing on marriage. So I want to I switch gears a little bit. We'll definitely preach that sermon here, um, so be sure to, to be there for that. It's going to bless your marriage, I promise. This past week, my wife and I were in the kitchen and it was breakfast time. We were all getting ready uh, to send the kids out to school. And, but anyway, I'm washing dishes. Melissa is, uh, is cooking breakfast. And one of my sons was finishing up an, a homework assignment, and it was in his Bible class. And uh, he's, he's kind of talking out loud, processing out loud. And, and then he asks the question. He said, Mom, am I righteous? And I'm washing dishes, and I just kind of stopped. And I was like... He was reading something about that in the Word, and of course, Melissa does a great job of, of teaching him what the Word says about our righteousness. But for me, you know, I'm thinking, my, my, my kid ought to know this. My kid's a preacher's kid. And we talk about the things of the Lord all the time, and, and this kind of stuff, all the time, and we're constantly sowing into our kids um, and, and building up their faith and affirming them in the faith. And yet he asked that question and it could have been maybe rhetorical or maybe I'm just not quite sure. But as the week went on, I began thinking, I wonder how many Christians might be asking the same question. Am I righteous? Maybe they're, you're feeling far from God or you just, you're curious. Or maybe you're feeling condemned in your heart because of something that you haven't done right or something that you, you know, you've been doing wrong or whatever. And, and I felt like the Lord, I was praying because I have that, that thing burning on my heart, but then I also have this message on marriage that I'm really excited to bring. And so I kind of prayed today. Melissa was like, we just pray about it, you know? And so I prayed today and I felt like the Lord said, I want you to teach my kids. I want you to teach my kids tonight. So I want you to turn to Romans chapter eight. In Romans chapter eight, Verse 1. It's a familiar verse. Paul says, Therefore, there is now. Come on, finish it, class. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And I would encourage you to go through and, and read all of chapter 8 on your, time, on your own time because it fills you in on all the theological reasons that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But for now, I want you to look down at verse 10. Look what it says in verse 10. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 10 says, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin. Thanks, Adam and Eve, right? Appreciate it. Thanks. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. If you are one of God's kids here tonight and you have asked that question ever or recently or even today, am I righteous? I want to give you the answer and the answer is in my sermon in the sentence. My sermon in the sentence is super short, maybe the shortest I've ever done and it's a simple declaration and I want us to say it together I am righteous that's the answer to the question yes I am righteous say it that's the title of this sermon it's my sermon in a sentence it's the point of this whole night I believe and only God knew how well the worship time and the things that Becca said and the songs 
how well it lined up. I was just going, wow, thanks, Lord, for the confirmation that I am supposed to share this tonight. Because the reality, the truth, the simple truth is, yes, we are righteous. It's that simple. If you are a Christian, you are righteous. But listen to me. At the same time, at the same time, it's very involved. And it's been made um, complex. I think that's why the devil is able to come in and, and stir up condemnation in our heart and get us focused on what have you done wrong, what have you done right, and really twist that and create something inside of our heart that's always, always at war. Am I righteous? Am I not righteous? The Bible says this, but I feel this. The enemy can play on that, and he does play, that, play on us in that area. And so what I want to do is I want to help all of us tonight walk in confidence in our righteousness instead of condemnation, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three reasons you are righteous. And so if you want to write this down, you can write it this way. Three reasons I am righteous. So you can write that down if you take notes. And if you don't take notes, I encourage you to. Three reasons I am righteous. I thought that we would just start by defining what the word righteousness means. It basically means to be right with God. I mean, that's a real simple definition, to be right with God. It speaks of holiness, to be blameless, okay? So to be right with God, holiness, blameless. Remember I said I'd give you three reasons I am righteous. Here's the first one. God saw you righteous. God saw you righteous. And I'm talking about before the foundations of the world, before anything or anyone was ever created, the way that God saw you, perceived you, hoped for you, believed for you, was that you would be righteous. Think about what it opens up Genesis 1 with, the whole Bible. It says that God said, let us make man, us meaning the Trinity, the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. They were operating as one. And he said, let us make man. We're going to create man now, guys. I tell you what, what if we were to make him in our image? It says, according to our likeness. What is God like? Yeah, he's holy. He's blameless. He's without evil. That's what he says. Let us create man in our own image, in our likeness. And then in the very next verse, God, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It's like, dude, we got it the first time. It's like Moses really wanted us to get this thought. We are created in the image of God. And if we are, then that means that when he created us, he had one thing in mind. That would be in his likeness. And his likeness is holy. He's righteous. He's without sin. Paul says the same thing essentially in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy. And without fault in his eyes. You got, I mean, that's important words. The way he ended that. In his eyes. He created us. In his eyes, what he saw was us righteous. You guys see that? Isn't that awesome? That's really, really good news. That we were created by him. He thought, I was thinking this week about how even before we had kids, I saw that my kids would be musicians. I saw them as musicians. That's what I I saw. I hoped that they would become musicians because I'm a musician. Maybe spiritually and prophetically, I saw that my kids would be musicians. I didn't force them to become musicians. That's not something that I did. But I did 
introduce them to the goodness of music. When they were little, I used to get my guitar, I'd sit on the edge of their bed. First it was Aiden, then it was Aiden and Cannon, and then it was Aiden, Cannon, and Rowan. And Emma Kate, I'll sing to her, play my guitar, you know, tell stories. But I would sing, I would sing songs, I would sing, I would sing old hymns, I would sing anything and everything. My, my boys know songs that most kids their age don't know. Why? Because I used to sing them, I sing them to them. You know what I mean? They used to see me lead worship in different ways, different places, different formats. I used to direct the School of Worship for Team Mania Ministry. And uh, we would do what's called band fusions. I would work with the bands and make sure they didn't stink. You know what I mean? So I'd show up and they would be doing their thing. But I would bring my boys. Remember that? I would bring the boys and they would bring their scooters and their skateboards. And they had this huge auditorium. And so me and the band are up there working and my boys are like zooming by, woo, yelling and screaming. The band couldn't even concentrate. It was so crazy, you know. They're like, shut your kids up. We can't play. But they used to come and they would see and they would hear those, those, uh, those young people worshiping and practicing and the music and the drums and the guitar and all the stuff. And, and the spirit behind all of that. Anytime I was in the studio recording, I'd let them pop in. You know, they couldn't stay there the whole time because engineers would get frustrated with their loudness. But I'd let them pop in. I want them to see. Look at that. See, he's a bass player's doing it. Look at the drummer. You know. Pop in, pop out. They were, they were um, exposed, if you will. We have a piano in our house. We have guitars laying just about on every corner of the house. Down in our den, there's a drum set right there in the corner. They were created, I believe, to be musicians. They were exposed to music. They were given the resources to become great musicians. When they chose to become musicians, I did everything within my power to make sure that they were equipped, not just to be musicians, but to be great musicians, the best musicians that they could become. Now think about this. Man was created to be righteous. He was. We just, we just read that. And then you think Romans chapter 12 verse 3 says, as God has allotted each a measure of faith. He's put that in them. A measure of faith in each human that he ever created. Every one. Don't tell me there's one that doesn't have a measure of faith because that's not what scripture tells me. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11, it says that God has written eternity on the human heart, that's what it says, on the human heart, he wrote eternity. He was created to be righteous. And think about this, man has been exposed to righteousness. It says in Romans chapter one that for since the creation of the world, his invisible qualities or his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature. It's interesting that he includes that. Even in his creation, we can see his divine qualities. And what is his divine quality? Holy, righteous. It's amazing. And it, so it says, so they, talking about humans, are without excuse because of what he has put before them, what he has exposed them to, even in his creation. So man is being created to be righteous, been exposed to righteous. He's even been given the resources to become righteous. Second Peter 1 says that his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. What is godliness? Righteousness, holiness, to look like him, to be like him. Why? Because we were created in his likeness. To be what? Holy, righteous, 
Like it said in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says, so now they are without excuse. Why? Because they have everything that they could possibly need to move towards, to accept that calling. You know, the word for this year for Soma Church is called out. We've been talking about how he's calling out his church to be a light unto the nations that he's called him to be. And for the members of the church, he's calling out the members of the church. What? To step out in their gifts and their callings and their uniqueness that he's created them in order that the church might be the light that it's supposed to be. And of course, he's calling out the sin in his church. Why? Why is God calling out the sin in his church? Why would he be doing that? Because he would sure love for Tony Herring and everyone else that he's ever created to fulfill what he saw before they were ever even born. And what is that? To be righteous. To be holy. Only one thing could keep us from righteousness. Could you guess what it is? Choice. (laughs) That's it. There's only one thing that could keep righteousness far from us. It comes down to choice. I mean, here's the deal. My boys could have chosen to never pick up any of those instruments in the house. They could have ignored that musical calling that God had put in them and never learned to play. Of course, by doing that, they would forfeit that wonderful blessing that God had put on them and the pleasure that they would have gotten from it. And the world would not have benefited and would not have been blessed by what God had put in them, right? But they could have. They could have said no. I want you to think about this. How did unrighteousness even come to exist? A man made a bad choice. Really, a woman and a man. Well, let's just get down to it. A woman did it. (laughs) Romans 5, verse 19 says, For as through the one man's disobedience, they were all made sinners. The one man is Adam. What Adam did, Adam and Eve, their failure in the garden, their disobedience. Because of that, we now have what's called a sin nature. You know, we were made sinners. But he follows that up with a great contrast, a solution, if you will. Even so, even so it's true that under one man, all were made sinners because of his disobedience. Even so, through the obedience of the one, talking about Jesus, the many will be made righteous. My second point is this. Jesus made you righteous. Jesus made you righteous. I was thinking about what my son was contemplating in that moment, sitting at the table. Ultimately, what he was is, I disobey all the time. (laughs) He's thinking in his head. I disobey all the time. Maybe I am not righteous. This is the constant rub for us as believers and and the entry point, if you will, for the devil's condemnation. That tension between I know what I'm doing and I don't feel righteous. If, think about this. If no law had ever been written anywhere about anything, consider a world. If no law had ever been written about anything, there is a moral code written in our hearts about what is right and wrong. Isn't that true? Don't we just instinctively, intuitively know that it's wrong to take something that doesn't belong to us? I mean, Right? Like it makes sense that we should not lie about something. It's intensely intuitive to us that we shouldn't kill someone and take their life. I mean, this is a big deal. 
So how can I feel righteous? How can I feel right before God when I know that I've done something wrong? How many of you know that tension? How many of you know the tension I'm talking about? How can I possibly feel right when I've done so many things that are wrong? In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul tells us that he who knew no sin didn't know any sin, completely righteous. No unrighteousness was found in him. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what it literally says. (laughs) Jesus didn't know any sin. He never did anything. But he became sin. It tells us in 1 Peter 2.24 that he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his own body on the cross. How many of you know that story? If you don't know the story, come. I would really like to tell you that story. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin. And I love this phrasing, live to righteousness. You could almost say live toward righteousness for by his wounds we were healed. Any righteousness that you could ever claim in your life, any goodness, you could only, it would only be accredited to you because of Christ. Does everybody see that? Does everybody understand that? Uh, I, I like to talk about it this uh, two ways. Um, I stand before God as righteous. Think about this. I stand before God as righteous. And then I walk towards God in righteousness. How many of you know that we, we call it our walk with God? We're walking with God. We're walking towards God. We're walking towards eternity. The big deal is how are you going to spend eternity? What are you going to look like when you get there, right? So our walk toward God is in righteousness. Now I stand before, it's really kind of awkward. And, and I told you it was complex. I stand before God righteous, but I walk towards God in righteousness. So let's look at those real quick, just in case we're not getting that. I stand before God as righteous. Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified, okay, it's all just right. Think of it that way, justified. What does that mean? It's just right. You're just right before God. How? Through faith. So since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. It's another way of saying I'm right with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. I am standing here and I'm justified. Doesn't mean I'm necessarily worthy of that justification. You guys hear what I'm saying? In fact, I'm not worthy of that justification. My sins that I have committed all my life and that I will probably continue to perform, hopefully on a less and less level, right? Those, those count me as unrighteousness, except that he who knew no sin became my sin, and it was judged on the cross. And so now I am justified before God. I can stand before God as righteous. God looks down at me, and he says, oh, there you are, my little righteous one. But what's sad is that many in the church think God's looking down there going, there you are, my little reprobate. <laughs> but it's not true. That's not what Scripture tells us. Being right with God used to be based on performance. It used to be based on obedience to the law of Moses. Most of us know what I'm talking about. The law, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, and and all the other laws. And this is another reason that it's really difficult for us to see ourselves as righteous or as 
having peace with God because we haven't been perfectly been obeying. We're, we're carrying that, uh, that law-driven mentality along with us, the spirit of that law, rather than the spirit of grace that we're taught into in, in the New Testament. And that's why Paul says, you know what, guys? As it relates to righteousness by... I want you to hear me. Everybody look. As it relates to righteousness by following rules or following the law, I was perfect. Paul said, I was perfect. I was a Pharisee. And he talks about how he he did everything perfect. It was his life's goal. I will be the best Pharisee. (laughs) It was actually very arrogant. He says, as it relates to righteousness by following the rules, I was perfect. But now I consider all of that rubbish. He said, that's just junk. None of that means anything anymore that I might gain Christ and listen and be found in him not having any of my own righteousness from the law. Let me read that again. It's all I consider all that rubbish that I in other words I throw it away. It's in the it's in the dung pile. I'm done with that mentality so that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness that comes from the law or the rules or deeds works but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God on the basis of faith. That's what that looks like. That, when we stand before God as righteous, that's, it's just it's faith in him. It's not based upon what I did. But then you do have your walk towards God in righteousness. How we walk, how we live our life. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter five, um, we, Marvin looked at that a couple weeks ago. He says, walk as children. This is Paul again. Walk as children of the light, trying to learn what is pleasing to God. He throws that in there. And he says, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. It's like, oh, that's our problem. More often than not, I'm participating in the deeds of darkness. You know, whatever that is. And some are maybe more darker than others. And and there's truth to that. But all of us, none of us are without sin, lest we deceive ourselves. Isn't that what scripture tells us? That's what it says. We do those things more often than we like. But Paul says, I'm sorry, John says in 1 John 2, and I hope you're hearing all of this. My dear children, I am writing this to you. He wrote a letter to him. I'm writing this to you and encouraging you so that you do not sin. Since you are righteous. <laughs> but if anyone does sin, everybody let out that breath. Oh, thank goodness. I mean, come on, right? I'm writing this. I mean, what if you stop there? I'm writing this so you don't sin, boy. All of you, you know? But he didn't stop there. I'm writing this so you don't sin. Since you're righteous, you shouldn't sin. But if anyone does sin, I love Paul. He's a realist. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Everyone say advocate. If any of if you, any of you do sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Are you guys seeing this? This is good stuff. He's the one that's righteous. The one who is truly righteous is advocating for us before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sin. And look what it says next. Not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Remember, he provided the provision for the whole world. The same humanity, I believe, that he wrote eternity on their hearts, he also provided the resources for that same humanity to engage and to make a choice. 
Let's look at the third one. So God saw us righteous. Jesus made us righteous. And here's the third one. The Spirit. Notice I said Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they're the ones that were in this whole thing together. Let's create them in our image. So the Father saw us that way. Jesus made us that way. Listen, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, his role in all this is to keep you righteous. I don't mean that while you're sitting around doing whatever the heck you want to in this world of sin. That's not what I'm talking about. What I mean is it's the Holy Spirit's job to help us walk in righteousness. First Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says that he calls it the sanctifying work. Again, it's his job to sanctify us, to bring us on towards that righteousness as we walk to make us more like Jesus, to help us become righteousness, free from sin. First John, I'm sorry, John 14, verse 26 says this, but the helper, another word for that in your Bible might say the advocate. Yay, we were already talking about that word, right? It just means the helper. When the helper comes the Holy Spirit. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, this is, of course, Jesus talking, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. How many of you have stuff in your head and heart from the Bible? Come on. Uh, From a Sunday school teacher. From a youth pastor. From an amazing pastor. You know what's awesome? The Holy Spirit's role in your life is to make sure that you remember those things at the right time. Now you have to have something to remember, right? I mean, come on, that's great. He teaches you all things and he brings to your remembrance all that Christ says to us. And I mean, through his word, he's talking about then. John 16, eight, when he, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world. Okay, so check that out. If righteousness is thwarted by sin, then we we need something to keep us from sinning. Well, guess what? That's the Holy Spirit's job. When the opportunity to sin comes or after we've sinned, the Holy Spirit convicts our hearts. That's what it says. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. John 16, verse 13, a little bit later in that chapter, when he, the Spirit comes, He will guide you into all truth. Not only will he teach us truth, but whenever we are heading towards what is false or what is just an illusion, he will put us towards the truth, towards the reality. And the greatest reality is we were created in the image of God. Amen. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, But we all with unveiled face behold as in a glass (laughs) the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into the same image the image of God, the one that we behold as in a glass. We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. In other words, it is the, what he's saying right there is it is the Spirit's job to help us become transformed from glory to glory or more and more and more to become like Christ. It is the Holy Spirit's job. How many of you would agree, though, on our journey towards righteousness? It ain't easy. If you believe that and you know that's true, say, it ain't easy. It ain't easy. It's not easy, you guys. 
Paul says in Galatians 5, 16, verse 17, I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh? He's saying they're at, they're at odds. They're, they're, their goals are, the, are completely opposite. The flesh is trying to drag us into unrighteousness and the unfruitful deeds of darkness. The Holy Spirit's trying to drag us into um, the fruits of righteousness, right? For that we would bear fruit according to righteousness. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. <laughs> I love this. is good scriptures. I remember a, a defining moment for me, and I believe it was a defining moment for my wife. And man, Melissa and I used to fight. Holy cow, we used to fight. And uh, I mean, voices raised and stomping around the house. She's the runner. She's like, let me process this first. And I'm the chaser. No, we're going to talk about it now. So we're just chasing each other around the house. You know, it gets loud. We get loud. There may or may have not been holes in the walls at times. You know, she's a stout woman, you know. So I'm telling you, you never know what was going to happen. But, you know, but neither of us wanted that. We were followers of Christ. And, and we were actually in ministry in this defining moment. We were in ministry. We were believers. We were spirit-filled. We were, spirit filled, we were filled with the Holy Spirit. But how many of you know that spirit and that flesh, always at war, always at war. And we would even teach our teenagers, spirit's got to win. Spirit's got to win. Spirit. That's what we're preaching. But at home, we're like punching, you know, it's like sparring, you know. Anyway, it wasn't that bad. I'm juicing it up a bit, but we did fight pretty bad, but we didn't want to. And we knew what we should do. We just didn't do it. Remember what he says? So that you don't do what you want. <laughs> so one day we were in a fight. I don't remember what it was. And I was chasing her around the house, you know, and she's like, just leave me alone. Give me a minute. You know, she'd go to the bathroom, you know, lock herself in there. And I don't know what she's doing there. Probably just going, and I'm knocking on the door. She'd open the door, run out of there. And she'd go somewhere else. I'd follow her in there. So after a while, we ended up in the kitchen and she's washing dishes, and, uh, and I'm standing at kind of at the edge of the kitchen, probably 10 feet away or so, and uh, it, it, we had been going around for a while, and I just sat there, and I, 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 I even had, I had the perfect remark. I mean, the perfect, it was, You guys know what I'm talking about? And I just didn't say it. I walked off. And Melissa could come up here and tell her end of the story, but she was sitting there, and what, I, what she knew that I didn't know is that she had a plate. It was a mug? It was a mug or whatever? Mug. You remember it well, don't you? She said she had a mug about the size of a baseball, and she was waiting for me to say it, whatever it was. She knew it was coming, and she, and listen, she, that girl can play softball. She can throw, okay? This is probably why God was like, don't say it, don't say it, don't do it. <laughs> that girl's got an arm. I gave her that arm, you know, but I didn't. I walked away. And, uh, you know, as Melissa's told this story. We've told this story several times in marriage counseling and things like that. But she couldn't believe it. She couldn't believe it. I actually walked away totally uncharacteristic. But, you know, something happened that day in me and in her. And we realized, oh, like that wasn't so bad. And we worked it out later. 
but a different way of approaching. It's like in that moment, and it wasn't even, I wasn't even in my head saying, I need to let the spirit win right now. I don't even know what I was thinking, but I walked away. And from that point on, we have not fought like that. In fact, every now and then, a kid would be like, are y'all fighting? Like we'll be in an art, you know, we'll be talking. And I mean, it might be a little tense. One time, one of the boys, are y'all fighting right now? And I was like, yes, son, we're fighting right now. <laughs> oh, it's brutal. It's important to let the spirit win. That was, that was a, um, the beginning of allowing a new level of righteousness to enter into our marriage. Now, we don't, we don't agree all the time, and there's times where it gets heated, and there's times where she can get really intense, and I could even get intense. But it's not the same. You guys know what I mean? It's different. 1 Corinthians 10 Verse 13, most of us are familiar with this, and I'm almost done. It says that the temptations in your life, how many of you have temptations that are just, just hardcore on you right now? Raise your hand. Yeah, I mean, all kinds of temptations. Paul said, and he was telling a, a, a group of weirdos, really, the Corinthian church, he says the temptations in your, they were, they were a mess. Read it, it's, they were a mess. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. In other words, everybody's got temptations. Everybody. It may be different from yours, but everyone's got temptations. And God is faithful. I love that. Everyone has temptations. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand when you are tempted, okay? Again, I love Paul. He's a realist. When you are tempted. Remember earlier he said, if any of you sin. Here he's saying, when you are tempted, he will show you a way out. Some of your Bibles say a way of escape. That's how we memorized it. He will give us a way of escape so that you can endure. In other words, so that your righteousness perseveres over whatever. It's like when you're running. How many of you ever go for a long jog? You know, like three, four, five, six feet. You guys know what I'm talking about? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. You're running and then something starts wigging out. Always for me, it starts with my calves. But sometimes, you know, maybe I get a cramp in my side if I just drink a gallon of Coke right before or whatever. But you guys know what I'm talking about? The idea is that whatever that is that's trying to come against you and keep you from finishing your run, completing your route, whatever, you persevere over it. You push through. You push through the pain. You push through. Because the the reality is, is those temptations, those strong ones that come our way, it's usually something that we want. Isn't that right? So there's pain attached to it. But we push through that pain of getting what we want, like he was just talking about We push through that and righteousness endures. He provides a way of escape and righteousness endures. You guys hear what I'm saying? Here's how I want to end tonight. We refer to Romans chapter 8. And you can turn there if you want. I want to read all of this 
thought it would be a good way to close. Romans chapter 8. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the living, uh, the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like our bodies. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful natures can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful natures. Everybody say, I am not controlled by my sinful nature. And listen to me, even if you are right now, even if you are and you know it, you're here and you're like, oh my gosh, this is about me. And you know it's you. I want you to say this. I am not controlled by my sinful nature. Say it. Say it again. I am not controlled by my sinful nature. You got to declare that stuff. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the spirit. If you have the spirit of God living in you and remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. Verse 13 says, for if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the spirit, everybody say the power of the spirit. That's it. That's it right there. The power of the spirit. You put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. You will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. Verse 15, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. What are we being transformed from and and where do we find and see that we behold it as in a glass we who with unveiled faces he's taken off the veil we who with unveiled faces behold as in a glass and what that means is back then they would use glass or they would use really 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 hard polished bronze as mirrors they didn't have mirrors like we do and so if they were to see themselves and comb their hair and put on their stuff and you know whatever 
they had to look really close to really kind of see. You guys see that? So that's the image we are beholding as in a glass or as in a mirror or as in that polished bronze. We're, we're, we're looking intensely and we're looking intensely. And when we look intensely into the things of God, we will see. And the more we look, the clearer it becomes. The more we look, the clearer it becomes. Hebrews back then would be like, whoa, they would, they would fall over if they saw a real mirror today. They'd be like, whoa, I'm that ugly, you know. But we're changing from glory to glory. And what does this say? In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Another way of saying that is we are heirs of his righteousness. Let's stand. I'm just going to assume that the Lord would draw me away from a really fun message on marriage to talk about our righteousness and where it comes from, how we got it and how we get it because someone here tonight needed it. I'm just going to assume that, okay? If you are that one or, or all of us, whatever, whoever that is, I want to encourage you. These declarations, read Roman 8, read, uh, Romans 8, read Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, really the whole book of Ephesians. Read those scriptures, declare those things. And if nothing else, if you can't remember, you don't have time in the next day or two, begin declaring my sermon and sentence tonight. It's really not my sermon and sentence. It's scriptures. It's like it could all be summed up in this. I am righteous. Say that. I am righteous. Why? Because God's always seen us that way. And because he sent his son to make us that way. And he filled us with his Holy Spirit to keep us that way.